This is a Fubar Radio podcast. Go to fubarradio.com for more details. Fubar Radio presents Politics on Fubar. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Asa Bennett, and this is Politics on FUBAR. Now, it's obviously a very uh, difficult week to be talking about politics in the wake of the tragic events in Manchester on Monday night. But nonetheless, I think we should be inspired by what Andy Burnham, the mayor of Greater Manchester, said when he said on the morning afterwards on Tuesday that although it was a sad day for Manchester, it very much will be trying to move on. It was sort of uh, as far as normal. It'll be business as usual. And so in the same way now, as election campaigning sort of gets back into sort of full steam slowly but surely, even then, we cannot escape the event, tragic events, the sort of terrorist attack in Manchester, as Jeremy Corbyn made clear on f- today with a speech, uh, trying to imply in this typically Corbynish way that, you know, if only we hadn't invaded so many places, then we, this, you know, we wouldn't have to be so much at risk. And obviously the Conservatives say this is a very sort of boorish thing to say and we're very much in uproar. And of course, Jeremy Corbyn was very keen to get back to the campaign trail because, of course, over the last three days, people have speculated on Twitter about what effect the, the sort of attack and the sort of suspension of campaigning would have had on the election. And there were some sort of uh, Jeremy Corbyn sympathisers who were rather sort of tastelessly, I might say, uh, suggesting that actually this was uh, you know, all very convenient, wasn't it, for Theresa May? You know, so suddenly we can have three days of her being Prime Minister and just Jeremy Corbyn being a sideshow as a result. Well, Corbyn is front and centre, and nonetheless he's getting quite a lot of flack today. And so you might think... Well, we shouldn't, obviously, when discussing politics, be talking about personalities. Well, rest assured, we're going to be having a lot, of, a lot of interesting personalities lined up in this show. But we'll be focusing on policy, nonetheless. In that sort of, uh, as we examine the manifestos, obviously, the, many of them have not received much attention. Given sort of UKIP only now releasing their manifesto to much uproar and furore, the Conservatives have really come a cropper with theirs, given the uh, social care or dementia tax sort of snafu, meaning that they now find themselves having lost a sort of 23 point poll lead with YouGov just recently saying that it's about five points really there ahead of Labour. It's no longer stratospheric. It's no longer a Tory landslide guaranteed. In fact, it seems to be all very competitive, which is makes the election race very fascinating indeed. And so to help examine the issues, I'm delighted to say that we're going to have a sort of uh, examine manifestos. We're going to have an extended interview with Caroline Pigeon, Liberal Democrat Assembly member, as well as a debate among various panellists of who is the best manifesto for Britain. We're going to have Laura Round from the Bright Blue Think Tank, as well as Jacob Ferrady, a journalist, and Leonie Cooper, a Assembly member for the Labour Party um, in London, of course. Now, you might be thinking, gosh, well, what if you're really sort of interested by these sort of points of view that are flung across and you really want to weigh in with your views? By all means, you are very much welcome. You just simply will tweet us at, at FUBAR Radio or you can email directly at politics at FUBARradio.com and those opinions will be filtered down to me in the studio. And so, may I just then say, to kick things off, of course, we're going to be speaking to a representative from Operation Black Vote, a very interesting guy called Simon Woolley. But at first, before that, we have a clip of party leaders launching their respective manifestos. This is a manifesto for all generations. We're providing hope and genuine opportunity for everybody. For the last seven years, our people have lived through the opposite. A Britain for the rich and the elite and the vested interests. They've benefited from tax cuts, bumper salaries and millions have struggled at the same time. Whatever your age or situation, people are under pressure, struggling to make ends meet. Our manifesto is for you. I launched my manifesto for Britain's future. A plan for a stronger, fairer, more prosperous Britain. A plan to seize the opportunities ahead and to build a country that our children and grandchildren are proud to call home. It is a detailed programme for government, rooted in the hopes and aspirations of ordinary working people across the land. It is a vision for Britain, a portrait of the kind of country I want this nation to be after Brexit, as we chart our own way in the world. Giving you the choice over your future is exactly what our manifesto is all about. I want you to change Britain's future. I want you to imagine a brighter future. Imagine a future where our children can grow up in a country where people are decent to each other, where we have good schools and hospitals, where we take the challenge of climate change seriously, where we give our teachers and our nurses and our soldiers, the pay rise they deserve for the service they give to our country, where we have an open, innovative economy, where we treat the poorest and the most vulnerable with compassion. UKIP is the country's insurance policy, and if the government begins to backslide during these negotiations, then it must know that UKIP will be there. It's seldom easy being a UKIPper. Joining an establishment party 
would offer a far easier route to preferment. But this party is all about believing in our country and putting it first. It is not the British way to turn a blind eye to evil in our midst. Football Radio presents... Joey Page. Welcome to the studio, the uh, fabulous Picks. Have you got big plans because you're doing some headline shows? So is that different to what you've just been doing? Or No, I mean, it's pretty much the same. I've got like a new drummer in my band, which is very nice. Mm-hmm. Never used to have live drums. So what's your live setup like? My brother Luke plays with us on stage. He's uh-huh. He plays guitar. Older or younger brother? Older. Older. Is he keeping you in check? Yeah, well, I don't know. I think I'm keeping him in check. Really? <laughs> I'm like an older brother to you in many ways. Well, you're just older. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Every Wednesday. Joey Page. From 2pm. Fubar Radio. Hello and welcome back. It's uh, Asa Bennett here and it's my pleasure to introduce Simon Woolley, Director of Operation Black Vote. Good afternoon, Simon. Good afternoon, Asa. Now, I wondered, obviously, you, Operation Black Vote, they've released their own manifesto and what they want from the parties yeah. and it's a very interesting document. Um, but then, do you feel that the manifestos from the main parties, have they been satisfying you much? I mean, how are you feeling across the board? Sure. Well, I'm encouraged about people that are registered to vote for last week's deadline. Literally mm-hmm. tens of thousands rallied to our campaign. We used our media friend, Saatchi and Saatchi, and uh, it looks like it was very successful. But now, of course, we've got to use that leverage and make sure that the political parties begin to address the concerns we've outlined in, in our manifesto. And number one concern is for the next government to have a plan, have a comprehensive race equality strategy right across Whitehall Hmm. that will begin to close some of those persistent race inequality gaps. For example, you know, 50% of uh, black youth unemployment is at a level three times the national average. And it's not just at the bottom end, you know, where are our CEOs, our generals, our judges? So there's these penalties that need to be brought down to ensure that people are not locked out, Acer, but have a place to fulfill their potential. Do you think that these concerns are being were answered, though, in the manifestos we've seen? Well, I mean, there's some, there's some movement there. Now, in these last uh, few days, we've got to put our manifestos in front of the leaders mm. and get them to respond. I'm sure we can do that. I mean, of course, you'll know, you'll know the, the demographic, the demographic, de- democratic data shows that in 45 of the 50 most marginal seats in the country, the black and minority ethnic vote could decide who wins and who loses. You know, that research was really quite fascinating, may I say, because um, obviously... With the, the Tories have had a historically a lot of difficulty trying to appeal to the yep. black vote. I mean, let's talk about Zach Goldsmith, for example. When he that was, was truly you know, shocking. His attempt to try and appeal seemed to be what, you know, oh, we're going to steal your jewellery, and it's all sort <laughs> of, you know, it's the bit, you know, BME strategy <laughs> yeah. sewn up or something. And then Sunny Khan, obviously, testament mm. to London, you know, romping home. I mean, yep. do, do you think the Tories are getting any better now? Or does the legacy of Goldsmith sort of hang over, in a sense? Well, I mean, that was a, a legacy, an unfortunate legacy, particularly in the capital as well. I mean, mm. come on. But actually, that Theresa May's got a good backstory, particularly around uh, stop and search, which she's told the Metropolitan, Metropolitan Police that they've got to stop this, in effect, racial profiling, you know, mm-hmm. that dragnet approach. Mental health, she's been good at, too. And, of course, Jeremy Corbyn has a long tradition of uh, equality and race equality, so they're all vying. They've all seen this data, because all their officers have been in touch with me, mm. and said, is it, is it true? And I said, look at, look at it yourself. It's very, very true, and we're registered to vote, and we're voting. Mm. Uh, so we've got to drag them, it's a kicking and screaming, to our table. But, you know, the, the, the upshot of it will be that everybody benefits. First of all, we unleash talent. Britain PLC Hmm. Uh, and it takes people away from criminality away from extremism into the mainstream in which everybody benefits of course although um, it was interesting you were talking about Theresa May's legacy as Home Secretary because I I remember the UKIP manifesto launch and I'm sorry for mentioning them Um, there's uh, Suzanne Evans took great pains to say you know oh look actually the stop and search reduction that that proves she was weak as Home Secretary and this is why we had the Manchester attack practically I'm not blaming her but I am sort of thing it was strange yeah, well, I don't care what UKIP say. Too many. You of celebrate them are, their demise, I imagine. Yeah, well, well uh, too many of them are bigoted. It, it's, you know, it's a shame they, sh- they should be even cast mm. as a mainstream organisation with such bigotry. But, yeah, but of course, I think that uh, Theresa May, whilst the, the Home Secretary, looked at the data and said, actually, this dragnet approach to stop and search doesn't help catch criminals. Mm. It, uh, it, uh, it alienates the very people that we need on our side to catch criminals. Cool. But we need to do more than that. And... And I think the essence of it, of our, of our manifesto and our core,
call to the political parties, look, that if you recognize the problem, have a plan to tackle it, then right on your doorstep you have this energy, dynamism, mm. uh, and talent that can take Great Britain to a very, very different positive place. But then if I might say, looking through your manifesto, um, obviously the demands are, you know, they're, they're very interesting. So post-Brexit Britain must include equal rights for minorities, you know, yeah. sort of yeah, obviously being very much a, a specific op- offence for online hate and work is a work sort of, uh, work, sorry, online hate, pardon me, and working more productively with social media companies, sort of cracking down on hate crime, sort of yeah. being good on human rights. Parliament then just thinks, you know, what's wrong with that? What, who would disagree with that in a sense? So, I mean, why yeah. would you be worried? Why would you think these are things the parties aren't in danger of are in danger yes. of ignoring well, we you need them written down we need yeah. them written down we need to we need to get their commitment on these on these on these issues and i think what we're particularly asking for is a plan so mm. yes they might say yes 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 we like all of that but what's the plan to go from a to z and without that it's just an aspiration yes yes we're all cuddly we all love each other well you know when you look at the data that there's too many obstacles from from the bottom end to the top end and to the middle, mm. uh, which which locks people out. I mean, I'm sure you'll remember uh, the former uh, Prime Minister David Cameron when he said it is a national disgrace uh, that an African woman has to change her name just to get an interview. Mm. And that was very much part of his social mobility uh, sort of crusade. It, it was. Yeah. It was. So I, I don't think there's any argument now about acknowledging the structural racial disadvantage that occurs right across. I think the biggest challenge that we're going to have to face is is that what are the political parties' plans? Mm. And I'm telling anyone that will listen on your station and anywhere else, look, when the politicians come to your door for your vote, which can decide whether they get in or they lose, mm. you use it as a leverage, as a, as, a, as a, if you like, a 50-pound note and say, look, what are you giving me for this? Of course. I mean, all the, imagine when you, when you put forward things like a plan to tackle racial inequality, yeah. uh, you know, sort of, some conservatives might say, well, hang on, you know, sort of, well, of course we you know, don't like racism and we don't like, ra- we don't like racial inequality. And, but they would point to things like the, the what was it, Harriet Harman's, I think, Equality Act, I think 2010, that they would argue was very prohibitive and meant there was lots of you know, burdens on businesses in a sense. So, I mean, you know, they, they, they would qualify their support for you, I imagine. Well, maybe or, may, or maybe not. The, mm. the fact that the, the data doesn't lie and the data suggests that, that the opportunity isn't uh, equitably dispensed. Mm. And, and so we're saying, look, this is what we think is a plan. If you have another way of doing it, we don't care as long as you do it. But if you don't, here's one. Of course. So you throw it back uh, with all the data, and then you say, how are we going to get from this place to this place? Mm. And that's a very interesting, obviously, the, the vision you're trying to offer the parties, because yeah. I, I can't help thinking of, um, and I, I'm sorry to mention this person alongside you, Kip, uh, you know, Donald Trump, when, how, whenever sure. he was trying to appeal to black voters during the U.S. Uh, presidential campaign, there was an f- infamous speech where he said, you know, quote, what the hell do you have to lose? And then he kept always sort of, whenever anyone from like, the black congressional caucus would ask a question, he would start yeah. going about inner cities and poverty, in a way. Yeah. And yeah. I imagine you'd think that's very sort of stereotyping, very sort of, you know, hang on, you'll just imagine they're all sort of poor people who you mm. have to talk down well, to. We clearly, we clearly like global politicians to tackle yes. the, 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 the poverty that rages uh, amongst many minority communities, both in the USA and here in the UK. But many here in the UK. will be aspirational. They'll be middle class but, as well. But you're so. right. I mean, look, you, you, need to tackle, you need to tackle all ends. And actually, with many money, most minority communities, is that we live and breathe on hope and aspiration. Hmm. And I think what the Conservatives have been, have been on the front foot on, and the Labour Party need to play catch-up, is that uh, when Cameron spoke and Theresa May recently, uh, they talked to our communities and appealed to the aspirational side, uh, entrepreneurs, dynamism, creativity, and that gains traction. It's not just doom and gloom, although we want some of those elements to be tackled. Uh, We want our children to be lawyers and doctors, and and who knows, a a future prime minister from our communities. Why not, Asa? Mm, I mean, do you think there are any uh, existing sort of politicians from minority background you would uh, personally hope might have a tip for the top? no, I do. I think there are a number on both on both sides, African, Asian, and Caribbean, on both sides. So I, Chaka Amana, Sajid Javid, uh, that's the thing. Sajid Javid, exactly. Sam Sam Gimia, mm. uh, and uh, the, I think I think one to watch would be the young man down in Bristol, the first Caribbean mayor of uh, of the first mayor of uh, Caribbean descent in Europe, 
and that's Marvin Rees. He's mm. definitely one to watch. And not just because he comes from Operation Black Vote Mentoring Scheme. Well, absolutely. He's very, very charismatic, may I say. And so actually on that po- sort of positive note, yeah. I, I probably should wind up this interview, but thank you so <laughs> much for your time, Simon. We should talk again. I mean, we should talk, we should talk again. And you know, can I just say, can I just have this little 10-second uh, 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 platform to say, look, I want all your listeners to use the democratic franchise. That we can make a difference and we can demand for great positive changes in this country. Excellent. I'm sure they will be gratefully hearing that. And uh, thank you again for sparing the time. Thank you, Esa. Bye now. Bye. And so that was Simon Woolley of Operation Black Vote. And coming up next, I'll be having an in-depth interview with Labour candidates for Westmoreland and Lonsdale, Ellie Aldridge. But first, we took to the streets to find out what the general public think of the year's man- of this year's manifestos. And we asked them specifically this. And this is something that our guests will be considering later in the show. Who has the best manifesto for Britain? Um, I know a little bit about the Tory manifesto and the Labour manifesto, but I've not read them page to page. I think the best manifesto for Britain at this moment, the way the country and the world stands, is Conservative. Just the stability and we don't need to be thrown into any more confusion they know what they're doing, they're in power. I think it'd be a dangerous thing to change it. Um, I think the most progressive one is Labour's. Um, I think it won't be an election winning manifesto though. Um, I think they've closed the gap this week. Um, there's a YouGov poll today saying there are five points between them. But Jeremy Corbyn's announcement on, uh, on war and foreign wars is a problem, I think. So I think it's become less about a manifesto and more about these bigger narratives at the moment. I want to vote Labour. I just think uh, their policies are really helpful for the less privileged people in this country, especially with what's going on with like taxes and things and like rich people aren't paying their taxes properly. We've got this all these cuts happening with the NHS and everything else. So I think it's they've got the best policies when it comes to helping the little guys. Probably Labour because well, the Conservatives seem to fuck everything up. Labour. Why? Because it's for the people and not for the elitist. No, it's not It's not just, you know, cutting things for the, the elite. It's making it more even and equal. I would say at the moment they throw everything at you um, and weighing it up, I would say I always vote Labour but I'm swayed to be voted by Conservative. Um, Labour said something about NHS, but I don't believe anything what either of of them say. I will say Labour, I think, uh, because Labour care for the people, or try to care for the people, and I think Conservatives are more aimed at the few more than the many. That seemed uh, a good diverse range of uh, opinions. And obviously, some of them seemed there to be more sort of uh, on the Labour type and uh, are some perhaps Conservative, Theresa May friendly, we shall see. But nonetheless, I've got, I've got the distinct pleasure to welcome Eli Aldridge um, to the studio. And he is uh, Labour's candidate in the very fine constituency of Westmoreland and Lonsdale. Uh, good afternoon. Welcome. Now, uh, for, the, for the listeners who don't know the constituency, it is the Cumbria one, uh, it's the Cumbria seat, f- famous for having representative Mr. Tim Farron, leader of the Liberal Democrats. So, Eli, you're standing for Labour. I mean, what, 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 what problem do you have with Tim Farron? Well, I think his party sold young people up the street uh, when going into bed with the Conservatives in 2010 in the coalition government. Mm. Um, I think they, um, some of the policies they brought through, uh, particularly the tripling of tuition fees, the implementation of the bedroom tax, and the Health and Social Cares Act 2012, all these had a negative impact on young people. And for me personally, as a, as a, as a local who's grown up in the area my entire life, um, when the opportunity came to represent the party that I love and have been a member for for many years, mm. um, to fight against a party that I feel has let young people down unequivocally, uh, it was a no-brainer for me. I mean, do, do you feel that you're getting much of a good response on the doorstep? Absolutely. Um, so this is, you know, it is a safe little Democrat seat. Um, so um, for me, it, it, it's not as much pressure as it could be. Um, mm. So when I'm out on the doorstep, I, I can speak my mind and I have a lot of time to spend talking to locals and getting to know what their issues are and what the problems they face in the constituency. And it's been really, really positive. People are very interested in my campaign and, and the wider 
uh, Labour Party, I think the manifesto has excited a lot of people and there's a lot of people want to get involved, a lot of people want to, to talk about it and want um, and, and want a bit of change in this country and in the constituency as well and I think mm. the Labour offer the best chance of that. But, but are they all really sort of seething about tuition fees there and sort of thinking, my God, you know, you're right, we're definitely going to vote for you, we still remember this stuff? Um, well, they're not the being a good local MP, you know, is there not that going on? Mm. Um... You know, Tim Farron's a very good local councillor, is what I like to think of him as. He's, he gets there, he, he talks to people, he gets out on the streets. Uh, there's, you know, there's a saying that if uh, a crisp packet's opened, he's there to take a picture. <laughs> but in terms of representing Westmore Lonsdale on the global stage, hmm. I think a lot of people have got a bit disillusioned and believe that he's putting the Liberal Democrats' interests over their own, uh, particularly on issues such as Brexit. So the constituency voted to remain in the hmm. European Union. But it wasn't a decisive uh, victory in this area. It, it mirrored the, the results uh, nationwide, uh, just opposite. So there is a large proportion of constituency that voted to leave the European Union who don't feel their local MP is giving them a voice or even wanting to discuss uh, their um, their reasons sort of for looks voting down on leave. them, maybe. As... Perhaps, and I think there is a, a perception of arrogance, perhaps, that um, he has got too big for his boots and he's off uh, running around the country as a Liberal Democrat leader. And I think a lot of people around here feel a bit left behind yeah, by it's that. It's the giddy heights of leading a party with just eight, eight or nine MPs, really, you know. You can oh, get, I know. You can get to him. But um, <laughs> it comes to my... I can't help wondering, of course. Um, we were talking about the doorstep, um, you know, hashtag Labour doorstep and all that. Um, but it, does Jeremy Corbyn not come up as, an, as a problem for you? Do they not say, um, oh, that no, man? No, um, yeah. I think it, there was there was an issue, um, but since the campaign started, and Jeremy Corbyn's message has got out there for for all the people to see, hmm. um, and where they see that his actually his his um, position on on Trident hasn't affected Labour policy, his, um, and I think that that has got through to people. So Jeremy Corbyn does come up on the doorstep, but more often than not, it's in a it's in a positive. I'm I'm considering voting Labour for the first time because of Jeremy Corbyn, and this is something I'm hearing a lot on the doorstep because Jeremy Corbyn he has divided opinion in the past but if you look at the polls he's, he's certainly on the rise and I think that is mirrored in this what, what has he done to answer people's concerns because of course he's still the same Jeremy Corbyn and what were the original concerns and how, that, how have they changed? So a lot of people I mean Cumbria uh, as, you, as you may well know hmm. uh, relies heavily on uh, nuclear energy and in Barrow the BAE systems um, which um, make the Trident submarines so when Jeremy Corbyn became leader and his history is traditionally um, that he is against uh, nuclear power, nuclear energy, and he's against Trident. Hmm. Um, so that is something that is brought up. People are concerned about their jobs, perhaps. Um, I mean, it went down badly in Copeland. I think Copeland was a, was a, was a numerous, uh, numerous factors. I, I think it would be un, unfair to, to single that one factor out. Oh, okay, I'm just being it. cheeky, fine. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, um, the manifesto, which has... Um, support for Trident, the renewal of Trident in there. It's, there's, um, there's a commitment to those jobs, and I think that that has uh, alleviated people's fears in that sense. Mm, I mean, it's curious you're saying that, because of course we've had a tweet from a listener while you've been speaking, uh, a chap called Paul, who says, I personally find Corbyn uninspiring. I certainly wouldn't vote Tory, but as a once proud Labour voter, I feel ashamed that you know to have him as leader of the party. I think that's. A sh- I do think that's a shame, um, I th- because I think this election is so much more than the leader. Of course, the leader is the focal point, but I think you need to look at the policies as well. So, so if if Paul, for example, is saying he's uninspiring, and hmm. um, that's fine, everyone has their personal opinion of people. It, but it's not very inspiring policies. to have a passionate anti-nuclear man, sort of unable to have his party agree with him, futilely sort of fighting at Labour conferences and just being prisoner to a pro-nuclear party. It's really not quite inspiring. Seeing uh, you know the ideologue reined in, surely. I. I, I disagree with you there. I believe that, that that is the strength of his leadership that he has been willing to make those um, those uh, he's willing to make those um, what's the word he's willing to compromise he's willing to compromise with the party mm. um, on key messages which he knows is in the best interest of, of, of the people in this country and, and I think that's a real strength that he shows that no matter what his personal beliefs may be that he is willing to put them aside for the greater good of the party and the greater good of the constituency in the country of course but the end result with the manifesto I mean surely it just means he's basically Ed Miliband with a beard oh I disagree I disagree I mean I saw I saw um, a quote that suggested that this was a sort of um, 
um, manifesto that Ed Miliband wished he'd put forward. I think mm. this is a bold, progressive, compassionate manifesto which offers a real alternative to uh, austerity. And I think this is going down brilliantly with the electorate. Interesting. Okay, because then um, obviously one manifesto that doesn't seem to have gone down too well with the electorate is the Conservative one. And obviously, no. I, I know naturally you would agree with me and say, my God, it's terrible, you know, sort of a wrong plan for Britain and all that. But I wanted to explore one thing with you, which is I remember hearing that the Conservatives, they're, they're jolly keen in, on Westmoreland and Lonsdale because they want to, you know, have a surprise decapitation of Liberal Democrats to really throw money at it, get rid of Tim Farron, and hopefully that'll be the surprise in the election night. I mean, are you detecting, you know, despite the atrocious social care, you know, dementia tax is a muck up, that they, that, you know, are you seeing lots of money and sort of a really huge Conservative campaign there? Um, I mean, the Conservatives do have that financial muscle uh, yes. that other parties do not. So, without a doubt, you are seeing a bit more of activity, activity in terms of um, sort of um, free post um, stuff coming through the letterbox from the Conservatives. Um, but in terms of actually that they're campaigning, um, it's it's been as understated as it always has been. I think they do rely on a, a silent support as such within the constituency. Hmm. And I, I don't think that the candidate they've put forward is anything special. Uh, last night at a debate we all attended, he spent half a night defending um, his use of the word housewife. Um, oh. And, he, and uh, instead of trying to get a conservative message across, and he, he really missed a trick. Um, he's in that sort sense of country old fogey style of Tory, is he? Sort of, uh, he is. He's very, he's very classic uh, conservative. Um, it's probably the right wing of the party, I would say. And I, I don't think that that is appealing to what you consider perhaps a soft Lib Dem who votes Lib- Liberal Democrat because they think Farron's all right, but mm. could be convinced to vote Tory. I don't think he's reaching out to those people. Oh, so imagine. I do believe that this, this seat on uh, 9th will be Liberal Democrat, but I do believe that the Labour Party can have a huge influence yes, uh, now, around here. That's, that's interesting, but obviously um, I know one of, the, one of the reasons why the constituency campaigning is, is rather famous online as well is because you've also got fierce opposition from an independent candidate, Mr Fishfinger, am I right in thinking? Um, yeah, well, Mr. Fishfinger, uh, allegedly, I mean, I haven't heard from him. Have he you seen him around? Up I haven't, no, but he hasn't turned up to any of the events he's been offered for. I think that this is just some bloke having a bit of a giggle, and it is very funny. I mean, the Twitter poll that 99% or whatever it was uh, suggested that a Fishfinger was better than being Prime Minister than Tim Farron is indicative of perhaps uh, Mr. Farron's uh, wider appeal um, in the country, but no, I haven't seen him about. He has a fairly active uh, Twitter account, which is thinly veiled as a Conservative campaign. I mean, really, I'm sure he's going to be battered on June the 8th. We know that. Now, <laughs> um, if I can ask about one thing, sorry to sort of make this very personal now. Um, you are, are you still, at the time as we're, we're talking, 18 years old? I am 18, yes. My, my gosh. Well, you know, sort of, uh, what's possessed you then to sort of chuck your hat in and go for Parliament? Sort of, why, why are you, it's so young, and, you know, student politicians, people always think they're very sort of interesting creatures, you know, so why are you trying to have a tilt now? Well, I think I've been involved in politics um, with, with a small P for a very long time, getting young people involved and engaged in politics. Yes. Um, in, in, in the sort of the, the centre of the constituency in Kendall, I ran a festival, um, getting young people engaged in voting and run sessions on democracy and um, had a sort of question time start debate and getting those people engaged and registered to vote and all that. And that work there has kind of moved me forward into the Labour Party in the aftermath of the 2015 election. Mm. I was really disappointed that Labour... Um, didn't didn't win. I think deep down I expected them to win, and I was I, I there was a deep sort of desire that I didn't I didn't want that to happen again. I didn't want to have another uh, defeat, and I wanted to do something about it. So I joined the Labour Party uh, for that reason, and and worked my way through it. So I'm knocking canvassing on the streets. Uh, I was you know then the youth officer, and I, I sit on the fundraising and campaign committee hmm. um, in the party. And when this opportunity came up, when Theresa May. Um, called the general election, and mm. the um, I was I I thought I should just put my name forward. I mean, this is an area that I care passionately about, and I I don't want to see a national health service that I was born in get destroyed, and I don't want to see that uh, a health an education service. Sorry, I don't want to see the education services which I'm still in right now to get decimated because I'm seeing the effects of that firsthand, and I know how hard it is for teachers under the stress. Mm of it all and I know how much this, my, my school right now is going to be facing cuts are, are you able to be campaigning full time though amid your studies or are you sort of balancing it quite nicely I'm you know I'm balancing it in the same way that the Conservative candidate is balancing his uh, farming and the same way as Farron will be balancing his, his leadership role it's, it's all relative the way that the campaign works is I know that I have 
I have, um, I've got a couple hours of door knocking here, a, a, a meeting to go to, this and that, and I can kind of structure it into a sort of timetable. So it's working really well All right, in that sense. Well, well, in that case, I mean, I know, if I can ask one final question, um, obviously Labour, under, with the momentum and the sort of Corbynites, they've really enthused, you could say, the grassroots. So, I mean, what's your pitch mm. to young people, in a sense, when they want to get involved in politics? You know, what would you be saying then? Why should they get involved and, you know, maybe, maybe even stand in the next election? So we've had seven years of young people for lack of a better word, getting shafted by our government. We've seen tuition fees being trebled. We've had uh, our 18 to 21 housing benefits scrapped, our EMA taken away completely. And this is because there's no young people representing us. There is a a huge apathy amongst young people. There was a huge apathy amongst young people um, towards politics. And I think Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party as a whole has energised that. Um, Their policies have infused me, and I know they've infused many people. And around my school, around my constituency that I've got young people coming up to me and telling me that they're going to be voting Labour, they're going to be voting for the first time and they will be voting Labour because Labour are the only party that are offering a manifesto which benefits and helps young people. So people, young people getting involved and getting, just, just get your voice heard. It doesn't matter what political party you stand for, whether you're a Conservative, whether you're Mr Fishfinger, as long as you're a young person and you want to get involved and want to have your voice heard, you should do that because it is so important that young people get their voice heard so we've got representation on the biggest stage. All right, well, then, thank you so much for spending the time, Eli, and good luck on the campaign. Thank you very much. Have a lovely day. Goodbye now. And that was Eli Aldridge, uh, the man who was taking on Tim Farron from the, for the Labour Party. And so we shall see how he does in, I think, a few weeks. And it'll be a very interesting result to watch, needless to say. Uh, now, coming up next in our, is our studio debate on the manifestos put forward by the political parties. We'll be welcoming Jacob Furedi, Leonie Cooper and Laura Round to the studio to answer the question, who has the best manifesto for Britain? But first, here are some more examples of how the party leaders have been trying to get your vote. Labour will boost the wages of 5.7 million people earning less than the living wage to £10 an hour by 2020. Labour will end the cuts in the National Health Service and deliver safe staffing levels and reduce waiting lists. Labour will scrap tuition fees. Labour is guaranteeing the triple lock to protect pensioners' incomes. And we will build over a million new homes. And we make no apology for finding the resources to hire 10,000 new police officers and 3,000 new firefighters. The government I lead will build a Britain in which work pays with a higher national living wage. Why the government I lead will keep taxes low and cap rip-off energy tariffs. Why we will help those struggling to afford a home of their own by building more affordable homes. It's why the government I lead will build a Britain in which the economy is strong to support world-class public services with the most ambitious programme of investment in technology and buildings the NHS has ever seen, record and fair funding for schools, and the first ever proper plan to pay for and provide social care. I want you to change Britain's future. I want you to imagine a brighter future. Imagine a future where our children can grow up in a country where people are decent to each other, where we have good schools and hospitals, where we take the challenge of climate change seriously, where we give our teachers and our nurses and our soldiers the pay rise they deserve for the service they give to our country, where we have an open, innovative economy, where we treat the poorest and the most vulnerable with compassion. More police, more soldiers, more prison officers and more border guards are essential. There are many other things in our manifesto today. 11 billion a year spending increase for the NHS and adult social care by the end of the next parliament. That increase matches the reduction we are pledged to make in foreign aid spending. Action is required on multiple fronts and I am proud UKIP is setting out its patriotic agenda. Now, welcome back. So for this week's topic, the debate is manifestos. And so we'll be answering the question, who has best manifesto for Britain? And so I had the pleasure to welcome to the studio the following. Leonie Cooper, a Labour London Assembly member. Hello. And as well, from the think tank Bright Blue, which is uh, one of the, the, I think, the premier progressive think tank, Laura Round, head of comms. Hello. And Jacob Ferredi, a journalist. I don't know why I'm sort of bending over in the studio. There's a motion to people, obviously. (laughs) But, uh, you know, the webcam is going to have great fun with that. Um, Jacob, hello again. Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, Now, so to kick off, of course, we have, uh, you know, Jeremy Corbyn, you know, really getting the campaign going for Labour with uh, sort of this speech saying, you know, all wars are wrong. You know, this is why this is why master attacks happened in a sense. I mean, it, it's, it's bold stuff. I mean, would you say this sort of it was similarly bold just as the manifesto was then, Leonie? I'd say that's 
pretty bold uh, and I would say that the manifesto was also really bold uh, mm. coming back to what we're mainly talking about today um, I think there's some really interesting things in it and some really strong pledges um, I particularly like the anti-fracking pledge as you know I'm the chair of the environment committee so um, I'm very keen to look at the uh, all the environmental pledges and also on housing as well hmm. interesting and then uh, would you agree with that sort of Laura uh, that it was good like nice stuff on the environment it was definitely oh on the environment yes um, well I think they did tackle um, environment issues which is it's a positive um, I think all parties uh, should do so um, and I think to a certain extent they all did increasingly so over our last man- manifestos um, but the more the better because mm, I know Bright Blue's done a lot on uh, sort of pushing the importance of you know, green technology and this has been a sort of uh, a thing that maybe the Tory party hasn't quite listened to so much because they think of it as sort of prohibitive red tape in that sense. No, you're right. Our research recently shows that actually the majority of Conservative voters in 2015 care very deeply about environment issues and uh, the Conservative manifesto does tackle it. Um, it's put, um, it recognises that it is a part of a Conservative um, philosophy hmm. um, and they've put some big ambitions in there. Of course. And then, uh, Jacob, I mean, how are you finding the manifestos from your perspective? I mean, you're, uh, I imagine, UKIP or Conservative are the best and you're most I wouldn't, inspirational. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't push it, Asa. Basically, <laughs> I'll, I'll throw my colours out there as far as I'll say that I am a Brex- as Brexiter as they come. Um, which is why I do find, you know, these manifestos very interesting. For me, this election, um, no matter what all these policies coming out of these manifestos are, this is the Brexit election. There's only one major issue confronting us when we go to the polling station. And so that really that question just comes down to is um, whether we respect democracy or not. So when you go down to the polling station, I think that rather than you know voting for a number of reasons, I think the most important thing you can do is if you respect democracy, you can respect you know the will of the people. And it's actually really interesting that you know a recent poll showed that 68 percent of um, the UK is now supporting Brexit. Is to go down and support for the most Brexit-supporting candidate. Um, this is the Brexit election, not an election on housing. Interesting. So, Leonie, is, is it, if we say it's a Brexit election, is the best way of respecting democracy voting Labour? How do you respect the result there? Yeah, well, I think, uh, Jacob, with all due respect, that is complete nonsense. And three, three, <laughs> of the, three of the parties have uh, made it clear that they completely respect the dem- democratic vote that we had on the 23rd of June. Labour um, voted in the main most people for triggering article 50 and has said it respects the democratic outcome on the 23rd it's only the greens and the liberal democrats who are saying Mm. oh we want another referendum and all that nonsense so i think go to the manifestos and look at the policies asa to see whether you really think that the labor manifesto has got the best things in it as well as respecting democracy Mm. Um, and that's where you know i'm very happy to start there and very very keen i really don't like the uh stuff on fracking the hell out of everywhere which is what the Conservatives are suggesting in their manifesto. Oh, right. Really bad policy. But then what would you say Can to I, that, Jacob? Yeah. yeah. I just want to come back on that. I think um, I'd be very interested to know if you've uh, had any recent conversations with um, a number of your MPs, David Lammy in particular, um, Chuka Muna, who have really actually um, come out against the Brexit vote and kind of, and um, even, you know, your own Diane Abbott and Emily Thornberry have really demonised Brexit voters since the kind of um, the referendum. So, you know, displaying Labour as a Brexit supporting parties, you know, it's, it's laughable. Um, the fact that it doesn't even endorse this notion of, I really push back against this notion of a, a soft Brexit and a hard Brexit. I think we just have a Brexit. And I actually think that, um, you know, I don't support all of their policies, but to give credit to the Conservative manifesto, they are saying that we are going to leave the customs union and the single market, which I think is really important. I think we're going to respect the will of the people. We're going to respect the vote last June. We have to put in our manifestos that we're going to leave the EU in its entirety. And I think that any kind of um, statement otherwise is as anti-democrat as they come. What would you say to that, Laura? Well, firstly, I, I was not a Brexiteer, but um, I do agree with Jacob that this probably is very much an election on Brexit. Um, Leonie is right. Nearly all the major parties um, are accepting Brexit. But what matters post this election is who's going to be the prime minister seeing us through Brexit and the negotiations and um, in my mind there's only one capable candidate and I'd be mildly terrified if it was the other candidate. Well it's interesting I mean, obviously um, Dora, you can mention the candidates here I mean, we don't have to worry about the sort of regulations. <laughs> I'd um, be terrified of Corbyn. So, you know, whether we are sort of, but I couldn't help imagining being intrigued when you were saying that you weren't a you know, Brexit supporter during the campaign because obviously the Tory manifesto it now explicitly says you know we will be leaving the single market and the customs union so it commits the Tory party to a hard Brexit. Now this may seem very 
very technocratic for listeners, I do apologise. But during the last few years, Anna Subri, Nikki Morgan, the sort of Remainers in the Tory party, have been able to use a get-out clause for justifying their concerns of saying, you know, I stood in the manifesto saying we'll stay in the single market. So are you kind of happy with the way the Tory party's going on this? Um, It obviously takes some adjusting to you. um, You're having sleepless nights, aren't no, you? No, I'm not having sleepless <laughs> nights anymore. Um, I, I definitely did at the start. Hmm. Um, I think when you, uh, when Theresa May did her Lancaster House speech, um, it actually became quite evident that that was probably the only solution if we accept uh, that freedom of movement is not something the public want, which is also what bright blue research kind of demonstrates. Hmm. Um, so realistically, having both, you know, having your cake and eating it is just, um, is not... Um, going to hold up and she says she's talked to all the all the leaders in 20, the other 27 European states and they've made that very clear so I think that's um, hmm. that's sort of understandable and if I could take up your point on free movement um, with Leonie now the evolution of the Labour manifesto was interesting and obviously we can talk about that because there was a leak of the draft one and then we saw the curious line inserted in after the clause I think five meeting you know that there will be an end to free movement so, I mean, do you think the Labour's robust enough on immigration? Or is there a kind of a rift between the London Labourites and the kind of ones worrying about the North and what people think up there? I mean, I think the problem is, is that when we're talking about freedom of movement, everybody only wants the people to come into the country who might be useful and helpful. Yes. And nobody wants anyone to come in who might not be useful and helpful. And it's where you draw the line around what is useful and helpful. And I think that's where a lot of politicians have got themselves into a lot of hot water. Um, Members of the public, I think, have been very clear that having a very large number of people arriving in um, small towns or villages who all speak a different language and haven't, you know, when their children first come into school, you know, they're all speaking another language. They have found that a very uncomfortable process. Mm. But we went through um, situations like this where people felt very unhappy during the 50s and 60s and you know you could see the 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 signs in windows apparently that said you know no blacks no dogs no irish we've moved way beyond that now and i think we are at this moment in time in that period just after um, a whole set of new people have arrived in this country many of whom are really productive and i think in 10 years time we will have moved beyond some of the concerns that a lot of people have now which are quite rightful concerns but we can move beyond them because we've shown that in the past Hmm. but then how how does how is labor hoping to address these concerns um i think uh talking about uh not having a hard brexit and having one that allows for uh, business to thrive in london which you know people can say what they like about being london centric or you know the metropolitan elite and all the rest of it but you know we we bailed out a lot of the banks in 2007-8 for the reason that you know London has often been the motor of the economy. So to make sure we've got the right people here, I think what Sadiq has been saying and what we've been saying about staying in the single market and the customs union is quite correct. Hmm. So then, Jacob, do you have bad news for her on that? Well, I, mean, I, I, I just I completely push back against this notion of staying in the single market as being a progressive measure. I mean, there's nothing more... Although, can I just jump in? We're not yeah. trying to debate the measures uh, no, necessarily, no, no. from the manifesto. No, no, yeah. For, yeah, yeah. for the manifesto. Okay, yeah. well, I'll take you up on your point about immigration, which I think is actually a really crucial point to be had. And I think... Um, I actually think that Labour has a worrying... Although Labour in their manifesto, so I think, you know, Corbyn rightly didn't put a number on a certain cap, which I think was a wise decision, um, whereas, you know, Theresa May did put that figure on it. I do push back. I mean, Labour have a history of, you know, actually they'd like to present themselves as a progressive party. But their, you know, their their view on immigration is slightly worrying. You look back at 2015 at the, the classic, you know, immigration mug, which went didn't exactly go down a storm. Um, Labour like to present themselves as the happy clappy party in terms of immigration, but actually, um, I think they're equally culpable of being the nasty party in this respect. Hmm. Leonie, did you buy one of those mugs? Controls on immigration. The no, Bandera. I didn't buy any of those mugs from the 2015 general election. <laughs> I didn't feel the need for additional mugs to clutter up my uh, Not someone from merchandise, I guess. You know, sort no, of, uh, I've, yeah. got, I've got mugs with cats on. Sorry, Ace. Ah, no, no, it's all right. That's fine. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe you have one with, you know, sort of Jeremy's face on it or something in the new era. Or, but, Ger- or Jeremy's cat. I, I just, well, El Gato, indeed. Yeah. I've, got one, I've got one with um, Jeremy Corbyn's face on it next to Sadiq, I think, saying trouble brewing oh (laughs) let's move away from mugs to manifestos the final question if i might um which obviously i I could talk about mugs for the whole hour at this rate but um 
Laura, obviously with the Tory manifesto to kind of sum up, naturally, you know, the general consensus for this uh, election seems to have been, you know, okay, well, Labour's just trying to mitigate the Tory majority. It's all just, you know, damage mitigation in a sense. Mm. And then Tories have dropped an absolute clangor over the last week or so, given the 23-point poll lead. It was almost embarrassing how far ahead mm. they were. Now it's five-point lead. It's a social, you know, the, the hashtag dementia tax as they've done it in a sense. Have they just royally screwed this up with their manifesto? Um, well, I don't think so. I think it was a very bold and progressive and welcome policy. Um, I mean, there are some arguments to be made about how it was, um, you know, explained and maybe it wasn't explained properly enough because it is very complex. But I think it was a very welcome and, su- and surprising policy. Um, you've got the Conservative Party who people would expect to just be, um, you know, bringing in policies that would sit well with the older generations which they kind of assume will vote conservative instead they're making the bold um choice of scrapping a triple lock and actually but then they t- panicked and social now care tacking on a care cap when three days later people don't like it it's not really a i mean it, it makes labor's manifesto process look highly stable and well thought out <laughs> in a sense you know whereas it's just the, the u-turn or sort of the amendment to the, the policy well you i mean, mean yeah but even then no, i think the cap is a welcome addition fine all right but that's yeah. sort of good solid news some news i mean i imagine obviously <laughs> i fear we could have a whole new debate erupt in a sense you know for the next for the rest of the show so i might have to draw it to a close there but nonetheless thank you so much leonie laura and jacob for your time thank you thank Thank you. And needs to say, uh, I can tell you what, we've got one last thing, obviously, after the break. Uh, coming up next, I'll be speaking to Liberal Democrats Caroline Pigeon. Politics on FUBAR will be straight back with you after this short break. FUBAR Radio presents... Sarah Love and my By Jafar and Nketi. Yeah, hi. I heard on the grapevine that you were going to kick us some I, I spoken do. word for us. Saki's ass was everything like the sun. It was big, it was bold, it was a celestial body rising to contour South Africa's coast. It was alleged to stand on and gaze into the face of heaven's host. Lovely! Every Monday, Sarah Love and my Stiggy. From 4pm, FUBAR Radio. FUBAR Radio presents Politics on FUBAR. And welcome back. It's Asa Bennett here. And now, last but certainly not least, I have the pleasure to introduce Caroline Pigeon, Liberal Democrat, London Assembly member. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Asa. Now, um, how, how are you today? Are you enjoying the sort of uh, the return to politics, manifestos, policy? We can finally chew that over. Yeah, absolutely. But obviously, you know, we, we can't just push to one side all those people who not. tragically lost their lives. And I think it's right that we had a couple of days just uh, pausing in the manic nature of campaigning to reflect on the tragedy that happened. Mm-hmm, definitely. I mean, obviously, London is a... Uh, I'm sure there are lots of serious conversations going on in the City Hall about how to make sure London is as secure as it can be in that sense, you know, sort of given yeah, ab- the, the horror. Ab- yeah. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, in terms of resourcing for policing and also... in investment in terms of programs with young people it's really really important that that starts to be looked at in light of what's happened and how we can um, Mm. reach young people in different communities I mean, uh, obviously, this may be a sound a bit counterintuitive, but given UKIP rather shamelessly, if I may say, yesterday, you know, piggybacked on Manchester to say, oh, you know, we need to be tougher on Islam and, you know, stronger on crime and all this sort of stuff. If I could flip it on its head slightly, what will the Liberal Democrats do then in light of, you know, to sort of on, on counter extremism, how to keep Britain safe? What would what would your party pledge? Well, I mean, one key thing, and I talk to counter-terrorist police regularly as I sit on the Police and Crime Committee at City Hall, one of the key things is we've got to see investment in community policing. We've got to make sure we've got the police and the PCSOs on the ground talking to communities, and we get so much intelligence from those police and PCSOs that feeds into counter-terrorism. But alongside that, we would want to see investment in youth services. I personally think the Prevent Programme needs to be refreshed. It needs to be much more localised rather than run from Whitehall. And those are some of the sorts of things that we would be looking at. But, Mm. you know, um, we saw what happened when we brought UKIP were doing yesterday. You know, our view is you don't have to accept Theresa May and Nigel Farage's kind of extreme version of Brexit. They're sort of perhaps extreme... views in certain areas. Oh, no, we can go we to Brexit think, shortly. I'm just yeah, talking about security. Just, yeah. yeah, but just but 
UKIP are all about. Yes. Not just playing on, on fears of, of people who are different, mm. but also playing on on, uh, on the issue of Brexit. And I think, you know, people don't have to accept that as the only option on the 8th of June. Mm. I mean, uh, obviously, with these sort of security arrangements, it's, uh, you know, funny because obviously UKIP then, they were still using that to do the return to their base instincts, perhaps, and still mm. go on about Islam and all the rest. And I think there are assembly members of yours who do, like uh, David Curtin and oh, Peter Whittle, I think, who are mm-hmm. about to be obsessed about it, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think they have an unhealthy obsession with a number of issues. And when I go out talking on the doorsteps, people are not coming up with those issues. They're talking about the NHS. They're Mm. talking about Brexit and the impact that's going to have on their families. They're talking about housing Mm. and the housing crisis we have in the capital. You know, they're not talking about some of these issues that UKIP seem to be obsessed by. Hmm. But then, obviously, if we go back to the the bread and butter, I think, of the Liberal Democrat campaign, which, as you were alluding to, is the uh, you know opposition to a hard Brexit. Um, do you think? I mean, well, is the campaign really taking off? Do you think? Well, I think on the doorsteps and in particular areas of London, people are really concerned about Brexit. It's going to have a huge impact on jobs in London. We're going to see thousands of jobs moving to the continent. We're already starting to see that. But also it's about opportunities for young people. And we felt as a party that 16 and 17-year-olds should have had a vote in the referendum. They did in the Scottish one. And we continue to believe that 16 and 17-year-olds should have the right to vote. Hmm. And it's quite clear young people voted overwhelmingly to remain in the European Union and and the older generations perhaps voted to leave and that is something that i think you know the younger generation will increasingly resent the then, you know the opportunities that being a member of the eu is has in terms of being able to travel around 27 member states freely to be able hmm. to go and live and work and study you know all these opportunities will be taken away as a result of of this brexit vote okay and then the party your, your party wants to have a second referendum at the end once the, the the terms of the deal are negotiated um but then does that not is there not a second vote already happening called the general election? On Well, no. I mean, the general election is, is about Brexit. It's about other issues. It's about the state of our country and how it's being squeezed. But we're the only party that's made, from word go, saying we believe that you have... You should have the final say on whether the Brexit deal that's negotiated is right for you and your family in a referendum. Hmm. If it's right for the people to have a say on whether to leave the EU, we should look at the deal and put it on the table and say, you vote for this or we remain in the European Union. And I think it's right that we give that back to the people rather than bureaucrats and politicians stitching up a deal which will not be, I'm sure, what many people had voted for. Hmm. But then obviously, I'm sure Brexit listeners uh, you know, tuning in will be wanting me to ask this question. Of course, if the result was the other way around sort of 51 remain sort of sorry 52 remain 48 uh, leave you know would you be then insistent in this alternative universe that no there cannot be a second referendum you know in the fewest time we are remain means remain no i think you know if it had been that close i'm sure there would be moves for a second referendum as we're seeing in scotland and i think that is something that down the line we would have had to have had or or perhaps the government would have been mandated to make certain changes if they had come out in the campaign but because this is specifically what our exit deal is hmm. people were very clear the destination they wanted to leave the eu some wanted to stay in the single market some people you know had different views on what it would mean we should put that to the british people and have the confidence in them to make that final decision. Of course, and then uh, naturally there was a, a, a very much a big demonstration of uh, how you struck a nerve in Richmond uh, Park, I think it was in December, when you ousted Zach Goldsmith and Sarah Olney yes. became your newest recruit in, uh, in Parliament. Of course, do you, do you fear that then she might lose her seat to the Conservatives, given how far ahead in the polls they are? Look, we're fighting for every vote we can across London and particularly in some of our our, our target seats even more so. But every mm. vote for the Liberal Democrats really um, helps support our parliamentary party in being a real opposition and putting strong views across and challenging the government. You know, it's going to be a Tories landslide. That is absolutely clear. And what I think is you need a strong opposition, and that's what the Liberal Democrats have been so far and will continue to be given that voice and that mandate in Parliament. No, now, if I could just pick you up there, of course, on the Tory landslide, um, I'm sure you've seen the YouGov poll today showing that the Tories now only five points ahead of Labour, which, if that happened, obviously would put us in hung Parliament territory with Tories just two seats ahead, the majority shriveled. So, you know, l- let's play this scenario. I mean, 
how would you, how do you think Liberal Democrats should move in such a coalition negotiation? Would they? Well, it's been it's very clear in our manifesto, and Tim Farron, our leader, has made it very clear that hmm. the Liberal Democrats will not go into a coalition with Labour or the Conservatives after the next election because they ha- have supported Brexit and we don't. And hmm. So we would not go into coalition with them. But I do not believe those polls. I'm out in seats all across the capital as a London-wide member, and I talk to friends in all parties across the country. It is going to be a conservative landslide and that's why you can afford to vote Liberal Democrat because your vote will really matter and give our, our parliamentarians a strong voice in, in the next parliament opposing the conservative plans. Interesting. I mean, but why do you think then, as someone who's a seasoned poll watcher, I imagine, over your time, why do you think they've showed a sort of uplift for Labour then? Well, you know... I- I can't predict the polls, and, and uh, if we recall, the last election, the polls were completely wrong, so I wouldn't say I have I have faith in them. I just go by my gut instinct when I'm out talking to people. Hmm. You know, yes, things like the dementia tax, that will have had some impact, of course, on Conservatives, and Liberal Democrats are the only party putting forward very clear plans to fund the NHS and social care going forward by putting a penny on income tax, really honest policies being very clear. If you want quality health services, if we want social care that allows people as, as, uh, as they're getting older to have um, the support they need, then it's got to be funded. And we're saying that should come through income tax and we put a penny on income tax and also to support mental health services, yes. put them on a parity. They are such a Cinderella service. Yet one in four people, one in four of your listeners will have a mental health problem at some point in their life. We need to make sure those services are there for when people need them. Hmm. No, that's very, definitely very, very true. Uh, but then if we can look ahead to the election, of course, I mean, wh- how obviously you've been going out the doorstep, you know it far better than I would how voters are feeling. Um, what's your take on, you know, how ambitious are you feeling about the Liberal Democrats? Will they get into double figures? In, in terms of MPs, I would hope so. I think we we, we could could well um, double the seats we currently have in Parliament. You know, we we took a a big hit last time, and people are slowly getting their confidence back in us. They like our policies, and it's making sure they have the confidence to vote for us. But when we've got some fantastic former MPs restanding, Vince Cable down in Twickenham, mm. Simon Hughes in Bermondsey, these are people who were trusted for many years by their communities. We were punished last time. But I, I have no doubt that more and more people will be going out to vote for them, and I hope we'll see them re-elected on the 9th of June. All right, and then uh, a final question, if I might just squeeze this in, of course. Um, we, we've yet, the local elections weren't exactly very pretty for the Liberal Democrats, so, you know, will there be many surprises on the night? And if so, where, what would be your, where would be your tips in terms of seats? Well, I mean, the local elections across the country, um, they varied. You saw places like Eastleigh, which we had held the parliamentary seat as well as the council for many years, gaining every seat that was up for grabs on that day, including hmm. from from parties like UKIP, places like Cheltenham as well. So I think, you know, in some seats where we have had MPs before, we hopefully will start to see um, some gains there. But, you know, I'm not under any illusion we're suddenly going to have hundreds and hundreds of MPs, but I, I would hope that we'll be able to at least double the number we have at the moment. Of course, the, the day that there will be hundreds and hundreds of Liberal Democrat MPs, I'm sure, you know, maybe you'll be among them perhaps. <laughs> you never know. You we, never know. We shall definitely see. But uh, thank you so much for your time, Caroline. And Pleasure. Uh, nice have a good to afternoon. talk to you. And you. Bye-bye. And so that was Caroline Pigeon, Liberal Democrat London Assembly member. Now, we've been running a Twitter poll in the meantime, obviously talking about uh, answering, asking the key question of who is the best manifesto for Britain. And the results have been coming in. And my gosh, it is a landslide. Not for the Conservatives. I'm mean, sorry about that, Theresa May. It's very much for Labour. 75% of you think Labour has the best manifesto. Jeremy Corbyn will be jolly pleased with himself. And, you know, only 25% for Corbyn. The Liberal Democrats, I mean, Caroline, if she had, was still listening, would be very sad to hear mm, this seems nothing oh well you know still it's uh, been you know good news otherwise all the same to be able to take you through the show and thank you so much everyone for tuning in um need, uh, obviously well, it leaves me just to say one thing simply it's been a pleasure to host this goodbye and thank you very much for listening
If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes.